Look, I, I want to kick off this morning's message by asking you guys a little bit of a question. Do you ever feel powerless in your faith? Do you ever feel like you're lacking some real authority or strength or, I, I don't know, just, just some oomph in your walk with Jesus? I, I mean, we're in this season of, of, of prayer and presence, right? As together as a community, we, we come together and just try to seek God in prayer and all that that means. But, but maybe you have been praying. And you've been praying and praying and praying and you've been praying for that prodigal or you've been praying for uh, your, your spouse or you've been praying for that job or, or praying against that, that illness and you've been praying for so long. But it, it's like no matter how often you pray or, or what you're praying for, your prayers, they just feel powerless. And it's just like they're bouncing off the ceiling and they're going nowhere at all. Or maybe you look around at this world around you, everything that's happening, everything that's on the news, the culture and environment that we find ourselves in more and more, and you just feel powerless to do anything about it whatsoever. And you know, you're trying to be the light of Jesus in a dark world, but it's like you don't have the ability to shift the direction things are heading in your family or in your community or in your friendship group, and, and you just feel powerless. Or maybe, maybe you just really feel like God is distant at the moment. And it's just like you have to do everything all by yourself. And if you're honest, you don't have what it takes. And you know that the Bible says that God will provide us everything we need for, for life and godliness, but it's just like you're doing everything on your own. You're doing all the heavy lifting, and if you're honest, it's just starting to wear you down. Church, do you ever feel powerless in your faith? See, we're in the middle of this series called Keys to the Kingdom. Unlocking the power of God in your life. And as Sandy introduced the series last week, we want to be very clear, this is not a self-help series. We're not doing five steps to a better life or, or five ways you can sort of improve your standard of living. This is not that sort of church. We're not going to clickbait you or sell you a program. We simply have this conviction as a pastoral team that each and every one of us have access to these keys to the kingdom. And we, we don't get those keys because of anything we've done. It's just simply because we call Jesus Lord. But uh, these keys, they, they unlock access to power, to authority, and to the abundant life that God has promised each of us. And so all we're doing in this series is we're trying to show you what these keys are so that you can take a hold of them and then just apply them to your life. And so last week, Sandy took us through a message called the power of the word. And this week, what I want to do is follow it up by walking through a message called the power of the word of priesthood. And look, I know, I know, I know, terms like priests and, and priesthood, they, they've got a whole lot of religious connotations attached to them, uh, depending on what sort of denomination you, you were brought up in, there might be a bit of baggage attached to them as well. Uh, but at the end of the day, all I really want to show you guys is that each and every one of us, if we call Jesus Lord, well, we are called to be priests. And if we can actually grasp what that means and how that applies to our life, well, it will fundamentally shift the way we interact with the world. With the world. Does that sound good this morning, church? Awesome. Uh, if you've got your Bible with you, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 19 this morning. Exodus chapter 19. Uh, and while you're, you're jumping there, let me just give you a little bit of context for where we're, we're coming into things. Uh, so at, at this point in the biblical narrative, uh, God has just rescued the people of Israel out of captivity in Egypt. 
So uh, the 10 plagues, they're done and dusted. Moses has done the whole Prince of Egypt, let my people go routine. Uh, and they, they've passed through the, the Red Sea and they've celebrated the very first Passover. And where we're jumping into things, we're actually 50 days after that event. Uh, so we're 50 days after them crossing the sea and after the first Passover. All right, so kicking off at Exodus chapter 19 at the end of verse 2. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the people, for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. So that's our key phrase for the message this morning, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. All right, so, so this is, is the first time in the Bible that this phrase kingdom of priests is, is referenced at all. And uh, what you actually find is it's the only time in all of the Old Testament the phrase is used whatsoever. But essentially what is happening here is, is God is looking at this group this ragtag group of ex-slaves who, who really have nothing going for them whatsoever. And God is saying, I am choosing you. You are going to be my priests. You are going to be my kingdom of priests. And what you need to know is, is the Israelites, they have no understanding at all as to what that means. Uh, at this point in the story, well, the, the laws haven't been given. They haven't been given the Ten Commandments. Uh, they've got no instructions whatsoever as to what a priest is going to do or what the tabernacle is or what the temple is going to be. Uh, they've, got, they've got no real basis for what it would mean to actually be a people of priests to this, this new God, Yahweh. Uh, don't get me wrong. They, they have seen some priests before. Uh, they've just come out of Egypt, so they, they've seen the, the priests of the Egyptian gods and you go back a couple of generations and they would have seen the priests to the Canaanite gods before that. But in the ancient world, a priest could perform any number of duties. Uh, and that would have looked different from uh, one god to the next, one town to the next. Um, it, it, just, it just changed depending on where you were. Uh, that what it meant to be a god to the Egyptian, a priest to the Egyptian god Osiris uh, would have been completely different to what it meant to be a priest to the, the God of Baal in Babylon. But if you sort of strip away all the details and all the, the different outfits and all the different routines these uh, different priests would have had, uh, and sort of at the core of it, what it would mean to be a priest is that a priest is simply someone who could go into a sacred space. That's it. A priest is someone who could go into the presence of God and live. And see, because priests had this sort of access, what they would do is they would go into that space and they would intercede on behalf of people who couldn't. So they would do things like make petitions, present sacrifices and offerings. They'd, they'd often talk to their God on behalf of the people and hear the voice of God for their people. And because they sort of had one hand in heaven and one hand on earth, they could act as these intermediaries between the, the mortal and the divine. And see, so what stands out in stark contrast to what God is doing here, you see, unlike every other world religion at the time where, where priests would have been one or two select individuals, 
God is turning to this entire nation, this foundling nation of Israel, and he's saying, all of you, from the least to the greatest, male, female, adult, child, wealthy and poor, all of you are going to be my priests. That all of you will be able to come into my sacred space. All of you will come into my presence. That God's intention from the very start was that his people would be a people of priests. And so what that means for us this morning, church, is if you're here, and maybe it feels like God is a little bit distant. Like over time, he sort of drifted away and he's become this far off God that wants nothing to do with you. Or maybe if you're here and you wouldn't really say you have any sort of relationship with God whatsoever, then what I need you to know is God is inviting you into that sort of intimacy, that sort of relationship with him. That the same depth of access, the same personal intimacy that he's inviting the Israelites into, that is exactly what he is inviting you into as well. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing it or who you've been doing it with it. God wants to step into your life. He wants you to know him and have access to him, to, to hear his voice and see his face. That the story of the Bible is not God sitting on some high mountain throne sort of waiting for a select few. That the holy, the religious, the good to work their way up into his presence. The story of the Bible is the story of a God who wants to dwell in the midst of his people. A God who would be known, who would be tangible and personal in our lives. And that church is what he is offering to the Israelites. And so verse seven, Moses came and he called the elders of the people and he set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all the Lord has spoken, this we will do. That the Israelites go, yep, God, we are all in for that. A people of priests, that sounds amazing, sign me up. And Moses reported the words of the people back to the Lord. And then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. And Moses told the words of the people, to, the words of the people to the Lord and the Lord said to Moses, so this is God speaking again, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So, so the Israelites, they, they sign on the dot of the line, they go, yep, God, we're, we're all in for this. And God's response to them is, okay, go and take a shower. To which all the parents of teenagers said, amen. Uh, no, but, but in order for the Israelites to sort of come into the presence of God, this holy and perfect and, and awesome God, they have to be made clean. That unless there is this covering and cleansing made for the sins of this world, then God's people cannot enter into his presence. And so God says, go away, take three days and prepare, prepare yourself. Uh, in verse 12, God says, and you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death and no hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. So God is just taking this really seriously. He's like, you don't come up the mountain until I tell you already. You don't come up until I invite you. And if, if someone comes up the mountain, you shoot them from a distance, you let the body fall where it may and you don't even go and pick them up. And then verse, the end of verse 13, and this is really important, when the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up into the mountain. In other words, God's saying, look, when I call you up, 
When you hear the sound of a long trumpet blast, then you may come up the mountain and you may come into my presence. All right, so, so for the sake of time, I'm going to skip a couple verses here because there's a whole lot of back and forth that's going to happen between Moses and God. Uh, so if you've got your Bible in front of you, skip down to Exodus 20, verse 18. Uh, but essentially what's happening here is uh, Moses is going to go up to God. God's going to give him the Ten Commandments. They have a little bit of a chat. Uh, and, and while that's going on, uh, the people are preparing themselves to enter into God's presence. And as you read through the story, it's like everything is going to be amazing. God's people, they've been rescued, and now God's made this amazing promise of his presence, and you can actually see his presence on top of Mount Sinai. It's tangible, it's physical, there's smoke and fire and thunder and sounds like mighty rushing winds, and it's going to be awesome. But then Moses comes down the mountain. He comes down Mount Sinai, and he sees the people, and what he's met with is something he wasn't expecting. That Exodus 20, verse 18 Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, uh, and that phrase there, flashes of lightning, could easily be translated as flashes of flame. So when they saw the thunder and the flashes of flame and the sound of the trumpet, so the thing that's supposed to call them up the mountain, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off. So this is it, right? This, This is the moment. The trumpet sound goes off. The people are allowed to come up into the presence of God. But what we're told is instead they are afraid and they stood far off. And look, I'll let you rest assured that that word in Hebrew there for far off, it literally just means far off. That they're not close and they're not tentatively drawing near. They've made this massive gap, this massive distance between God and them. And then verse 19. And the people said to Moses, Moses, you speak to us. And we'll listen to you, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Do you trust what's happened here? Is God has invited his people into his presence. And they've said no. Or to put it into language that's more familiar for us, uh, God has offered them a relationship, but instead they've chosen religion. That when God says, to, when, when the people say to Moses, you speak to us, what they're saying is we would rather hear the voice of God through a man than hear that voice for ourselves. That they would rather see the, the glory of God through proxy as opposed to be holding his glory with their own eyes that they'd rather interact with God from as much distance and space as possible rather than entering into the presence themselves. And it's like what they're doing in this moment is they're creating this divide between the sacred space, between God's space and their space. That they're putting this box around God and they're saying, okay, God, you can stay in your little box and we'll be over here by ourselves and if you need to talk to us, you send a messenger across, that's fine, but we don't want to come into your box because that's terrifying. And church, that, that is exactly the way religion operates. It creates this box around God and this box around us and says, okay, God, this is the way we're going to interact with you. These are the rules that that you can operate under. And so long as we keep to our little box and you keep to your little box and we each do our own things, then this relationship, it it can work out. That God, you you can have my time on Sunday between 9 and 10 a.m. 
God, you, you can have my small group on Wednesday. You can have my quiet time in the morning. But for the rest of the week, you just, you just stay in that box. You, you stay at a distance. You stay on top of the mountain and you follow all the rules I have set for you and, and I'll just stay in my box and, and then we'll be fine. Church, the only problem with interacting with God like that, with creating the space between God's space and our space and, and choosing religion over a relationship is it robs that relationship of all the power that it's supposed to have. Not, not that God suddenly becomes powerless. God, God has all power. But when we separate ourselves from God and we refuse to see him operating outside our, our nice, nice little neat box and the, the way the world works, then more often than not, we will not see God work at all. And you know why we do that? Why, why we choose religion? Why we rob ourselves of intimacy and the power of God's relationship? Because often religion feels easier. I mean, which interactions are easier for you? The, the ones you have with your internet provider or the ones you have with your spouse? Which interactions are easier? The ones you have with, with Netflix or the ones you have with your kids. See, the way you interact with your internet provider, it's a list of do's and don'ts. There are things you can do, things you can't do, and if you follow all your rules and they follow all your, their rules, everyone's happy. There's no need for, for the mess of things like emotions or arguments or vulnerability or, or fights on the way to church because apparently that's something married people do. Uh, there's no need for, for compromise that there's no need to work out solutions where one party wants something and the other party wants something else. It, it's just, it's easier, right? But, but hopefully, as all of us can attest to, you get a lot more out of your relationship with your kids and your spouse than, than just internet and Netflix. There's, there's, no, there's no intimacy with your internet provider. There's no availability for either of you to be growing from that relationship. You're not going to learn more about the other person from spending time with them. There's no one to lean on in times of hardship and pain. It is just not the same. And church, I'm telling you, if you interact with this amazing and beautiful and awesome and loving God who wants an intimate and personal relationship with you, if you treat that God in the same way you treat your internet provider, I'm telling you, those interactions... They're going to be dry, they're going to be boring, there's going to be no depth to them whatsoever, and they will almost certainly feel powerless and have no impact on your world. And so look, as you step back into the story, God's people, they ask for religion, they ask for rules, and God says, okay. In fact, the very next verse in Exodus 20 there is God giving his people instructions as to how to build a proper altar. And I know that doesn't sound like much to us, but essentially what's happening is God immediately sets up boundaries between his space and, and people's space. Uh, from verse 24, an altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come and bless you. Uh, skipping down to verse 26, and you shall not go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness be not exposed on it. In other words, God says, look, build my altar. My presence will dwell there. I will bless you from there, but, 
Because you've chosen to separate yourselves from me, you don't get to walk up the steps to my altar anymore. You don't get to come into my presence anymore. And look, as you follow through the rest of the story, God's gonna pick out this family who are gonna be his priests, uh, the family of Levi, and from his children and his offspring, there's gonna come this priestly line. That yes, God's plan was a people of priests, but he sort of makes this, this concession to the people of Israel. And he says, okay, you can be a people with priests. And so if you're up for some light reading this week, go away and read Leviticus chapters one to 10. It's riveting stuff, I promise. Uh, but no, it's, it's just full of all these rules and regulations about what the priests are supposed to do. Um, sort of the lives they're supposed to live so they can remain holy and set apart. Uh, when and where and how and why they can actually enter into God's presence. And then they're given a whole bunch of really, really specific instructions as to the sacrificial system and, and how they can intercede for other people. But essentially, the way it would work like this, it would work is like this. If you lived in ancient Israel and you wanted to thank God for something, so maybe he gave you a really good harvest or he, he gave you a kid or whatever, or, or you, you, wanted to, um, you were convicted of sin and you wanted to ask for forgiveness, what you would do is you would take something valuable to you, so a sack of flour, a goat, whatever, you would go to the temple you would find a priest, give the priest that, that sacrifice, and that priest would go for you into the presence of God, and they'd make the sacrifice on your behalf. And that happens day in and day out for 2,000 years. And it's 2,000 years of sacrifices and priests and offerings, and, and importantly, it's 2,000 years where God's people, for the most part, never get to go into his presence where there's this separation between the sacred space and the people's space. Until 2,000 years go past and Jesus rocks up on the scene. And Jesus comes and he lives this, this perfect human life. And, and then he dies a sinner's death on the cross. He becomes the, the ultimate sacrifice for all of humanity. And on the third day, he walks out of an empty tomb and um, a couple of weeks later, he ascends to heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father as a once and for all great high priest for all of us. And, and look, there's, there's so much there and I, I wish I wish I had time to, to unpack what that actually means for us, but I, I wanna focus on what happens after the resurrection, after the ascension. See, 50 days after the crucifixion, so again, 50 days after Passover, Pentecost happens. And it's just this amazing rehash of everything we just read in Exodus. See, once again, the presence of God is gonna fall upon a mountain and it's gonna fall in tongues of fire and sounds like a mighty rushing wind and it's gonna fall on Mount Zion, where Jerusalem sits. And what's happening is God is again making this offer to his people that his presence may come and dwell among them that God is turning to the early church and he's saying, look, the priesthood, it is going to be reestablished. But this time, the people don't need to go away and make themselves holy because the work of Christ has already done that. This time, they don't need to wait three days because Jesus already waited three days in the tomb. And this time, they aren't just being invited into the presence of God. The invitation is to have the very presence of God residing inside of it that the fabric of reality shifts in such a fundamental way as the presence of God goes from something that, that dwells in a building or a place for a limited amount of time to something that would actually indwell people. 
That the very same God who spoke the universe into being, he allows himself to reside in the hearts of men for all who would believe. And see, the, the apostle Peter, who was there that day on Pentecost, who saw the tongues of fire and the physical presence of God fall upon his people, the way he would describe the shift in, in, in the world is this. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Now you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. The church from the start, God's plan was a people of priests. His concession for 2,000 years was a people with priests. But ultimately, his solution and the framework we operate in today as Christians is a people who are a royal priesthood. And see, this, this new order of priesthood, it's not just one ethnic group. It's going to be every tongue, every tribe, every nation, a chosen race. That this new order of priesthood, it's not going to be from one physical nation. It's going to be a holy nation that would transcend borders and pass through every worldly barrier. That from the beginning, God has wanted to be this God who would dwell in the midst of his people and through the sending of the Holy Spirit into the heart of every believer, that is something that is finally possible. That God has made each and every one of us, if we call Jesus Lord, a member of a royal priesthood forever. And so look, all I want to do with the rest of our time this morning is break apart what that actually means for us. Because I know, I just covered like a whole lot of ground in the Bible. I just covered 2,000 years of biblical history, but me just telling you you're a royal priest does nothing at all unless you actually know the power, the authority, and the responsibilities that go with it. All right, so the first thing we get to do as priests is we get to bring God's presence. And yes, I've worded that a little bit differently to how I said it earlier because we don't just get to go into God's presence anymore. We get to bring that presence with us. See, in the Old Testament, the sacred space, God's space, it was always sort of confined to a place or an object or a building for a given amount of time. Uh, so it's in the, uh, the burning bush, it's at Mount Sinai, it's in the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle, and ultimately it resides in the temple. But the reason those places and those objects were sacred is simply because that's where God's presence was dwelling. And see, what has happened now is because each and every one of us have been given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That means everywhere we go, that is a sacred space. That every room we enter, every place we put ourselves, that, that becomes holy ground that we get to bring the presence of God into our homes and our workplaces and our schools and our universities and our community centers and our sports group, that, that everywhere we go, the presence of God goes with us. And so what that means is anything a priest would do in the confines of the temple, we're supposed to do that wherever we find ourselves. So look, you wanna to talk to God? You don't have to find him here on a Sunday. God is not confined to a building or a place. You just pray. And because you're, you are a priest of God, he hears your prayers. You need some guidance in your life. You need him to direct you and tell you what paths you should walk. Well, you don't have to come and talk to a pastor. You, you just go to your heavenly father and you ask him what is on your heart. You want to worship God? Because that's something they would do in the temple. Do it in your car. 
or in your home or in your workplace. You don't, need, you don't need us, you don't need a band, you don't need lyrics on the screen, you don't need a guitar. You simply lift up your very life as a song of worship to our King. And look, I'm not saying we need to stop coming to church or meeting together or that we should fire all the pastors. Please don't do that. <laughs> but I am saying we bring the presence of God with us. And so you don't need those things in order to experience God in your life. But look, flowing out of that, flowing out of the fact that we get to perform priestly duties wherever we go, the second thing we get to do as priests is we get to intercede on behalf of others. See, the, the main task that the priests were given in the Old Testament is, as I said, they'd go before God and they'd represent the needs, the desires, and the hearts of, of God's people to God. And look, ultimately, we don't have to do that from an atoning point of view, so um, we're, not, we're not covering people's sins. But we do get to go before God and present the requests and supplications that we have for others for him. That we get to pray that God would be a God who blesses our neighbours and our families. Uh, 1 Timothy 2.1, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. That God has given each and every one of you the authority, the power, and the ability to pray for others in your family or your community or your sports group or your small group or your workplace or your mother's group or those friends you have coffee with or, or your sponsored child in Africa or, or, or whoever it is. God has given each and every one of you the authority and power to be praying blessings over those people's lives. And church, God actually hears you when you do those things. Uh, James 5.16, pray for each other so that you might be healed. For the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. That they actually do something. That as a priest of the Most High God, one of the most important tasks and duties we have been given is to intercede for others. And then finally, we get to make offerings. And look, I'm gonna to have to explain that one because it sounds really weird and, and I'm not suggesting you go away and start making sacrifices of goats for, for Jimmy down the road. That's not at all the direction we're heading. Um, but this idea of offerings being made, it is scattered all throughout the New Testament. And again, it's not atoning sacrifices. We're not covering people's sins. God has done that once and for all. But this idea of New Testament believers making sacrifices to God, it appears again and again and again in the Bible. Uh, 1 Peter 2.5, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That each and every one of us are to offer spiritual sacrifices. Uh, and so that can, that can mean one of three main things and, and the band can actually start coming up as we land this this morning. Firstly, it means worship. Uh, Hebrews 13.15, through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Now church, do you know that every time you come here and we sing songs of praise to God, every time you make much of him and acknowledge him with the words of your mouth, the fruit of your lips, that is actually an offering. It is a sacrifice that rises up to God. That God hears our, our praise and it's a pleasing aroma that, that rises up to him. And that is why it's so important we come together and we sing songs and, and we sing them like we actually mean them. But, but look, the Bible is also very clear that, that worship is more than just the songs we sing. 
Worship is also the, the lives we bring that we're supposed to live in such a way that every action, every thought, every step of our lives, it is worship, it is praise, and it acknowledges God. Right, the, the second type of offering we bring is acts of service. Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. In other words, the author of Hebrews would have you know that, every, that doing good and sharing what you have is an offering, is a sacrifice that you get to make as a priest of God. And you present that to God as a praise offering. In fact, um, Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, he, he gets this gift from them while he's in jail. And, and he, he's writing back to them and he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphrodites the gifts you sent me. And it is a fragrant offering. It is a sacrifice that is acceptable and a pleasing, not to Paul, it is, it is acceptable and pleasing to God. At church, Paul is saying, every time we look after the least of these, every time we give up our time or our money or our energy to, to help someone who is struggling, what we're doing in that moment is we're making a sacrifice to God. And look, to tie all these together, and this is the whole point of this, of this offering idea. Our very lives are supposed to be an offering poured out to God. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. For this is your true and proper worship. The church, everything we do, when done in the service of God, it is our spiritual sacrifice. It is an offering that is acceptable to God's side and it rises up to Him to the very throne room of heaven. And sure, it's not an offering of animals. We're not giving up bags of barley or oil or any of the things they would give in the Old Testament. We give our lives, we give our time, we give our energy, we give our money to those around us. And that is a sacrifice that God just smiles at. And God is calling us to be a priesthood who make those sort of sacrifices. A people who lay down their very lives that God might be glorified. See, church, the truth of the matter is you are not powerless. You're not. And the reason I can say that with such surety is because I know if you call Jesus your Lord, then you have been given the title of royal priest. And there is power attached to that title. And what's more than that, because you have the Spirit of God in you, the very Holy Spirit indwelling your heart, every space you enter, it becomes a sacred space. That every believer is called and every space is sacred. And so look, you don't have to feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Because I promise you that as a priest of God, God hears every word you pray and He's actually calling you to not just pray for yourself, to be praying for those around you that you don't have to feel like this world is this broken and unchangeable place and, and there's nothing you can do about it. As a priest of God, you can bring change in your workplace, in your family, in your community. That as a royal priest of God, you get to bring the, the presence of God, the very light of God into the darkest of places. And church, the darkness flees when light enters into the room and that is the sort of thing you bring into your places. And church, finally, God does not have to feel like He's far off. 
because he's not. That not only has he invited you into his presence, he has given you the very presence of God to dwell inside of you. So church, in the season of prayer and presence, where is God calling you to act in the authority and the title of a priest? What space is he calling you to bring the presence of God into and to make holy ground? How and where and and, and in, in what sort of way is he calling you to bring your offerings of praise and worship to him? Who can you be interceding for? Right now, on your heart, who is God putting on your heart right now that you need to be praying for day in and day out as a holy priest that that person might experience the touch of God in their life? And how can your life be made into a living sacrifice for the glory of God and and the good of those around you? So we're gonna finish in a song of worship in a second and that is gonna be our offering that we bring up to God. But other than that, I don't really have a proper activation or anything like that to, to finish off this morning's message. And the reason I don't think I need to do that is because you guys are just as much priests as I am. You have just as much ability to hear the voice of God in your life, to know how He is calling you to respond in this moment as I do. And so look, whatever God is calling you to do, whether that's come forward and receive prayer, and the prayer team will be at the front if you you need prayer of anything or you want prayer of anything, or if He's just calling you to, to sing a song of praise and worship with all that you have and declare the glories of God to the world around us, or He's calling you to sit in your chair and just do business with God. Whatever he's calling you to do as a priest this morning, you just do that. So I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna land this thing with some worship. Lord, I, I thank you that you are not a distant God. I thank you that you're not far off, that you are closer than the air we breathe, that you have given us your spirit to indwell us. And that you've given each and every one of us this title of priest of God. And I just pray right now, Lord, you would just reveal to us what, what that needs to look like in our lives. Father, that you would speak to us right now. You, you would bring to our attention things that we've maybe been putting to the side or we haven't focused on or we haven't been aware of. Lord, that, that you would help us to be a people who, who dwell in your presence, who are aware of your presence and who walk out the, the ramifications of that in our lives. Lord, Lord, I pray for, for those among us who feel like we, we maybe have been putting you in a box, that we've separated out the sacred space and, and the rest of our lives. And we sort of said, you can have that little bit of time, God, but the rest is ours. And I just pray right now, those walls would come tumbling down. Lord, that, that your, your love, your, your energy, your spirit, your presence would just flood over all of our lives. That we'd be a people who praise you just as much in the workplace as we do here on Sunday in worship. And Lord, I pray for those who feel like you're far. And like Pat was saying at the start, maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you've had this this long period where God has been really far. That you would call yourself a Christian, but it's not something you'd actually experience in your day-to-day life. And you you wanna make that sort of recommitment this morning. And so if that's you this morning, I just invite you in 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 this time of worship, come forward to the front and we would just love to pray of you. 
We would just love to pray that you would receive the Holy Spirit afresh in your life. You would experience God afresh in your life and that would just flow out into every aspect of everything you do. Lord, I just pray for a blessing over these guys. That we would know your presence and that we would know the authority and power you have given us in this life as your royal priesthood. I pray this all in your mighty, mighty name. Amen.